Call the spec sheet now at 573-837-4948. This was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. You just keep on trying till you run out of cake. And the science gets done and you make a neat gun for the people who are still alive. Now these points of data make a beautiful line and we're out of data, we're releasing on time. So I'm glad I got burned, think of all the things we learned for the people who Everybody. What's up, Curtis? Hey, nothing much. How you doing? It's the Spec Sheet with Curtis Thornton. I'm Michael Van Dieven. If you want to call the show, we'd be happy to have you. And you can do that by picking up your Bakelite-based rotary phone. People right. with rotary phones in open fields only, please. As yeah. Phil Hendry used to say. Yeah, be sure to go to dispatch first. And the phone number is 573-837-4948. It's 573-837-4948. This is a podcast where we talk tech. We talk tech. This is a tech uh, talk here. We're going to talk about your car's mufflers. We're going to talk about your brake pads. You got your disc brakes. You got your drum brakes and camshafts. You got your ventilation tubes and hoses. I don't know. Uh, that's, the extent. <laughs> that's the extent of car parts. That I can name. Yeah. I'm so manly. It's wonderful to be me. My wife is so attracted to me. <laughs> well, hey, you, you said words there. That I, I have no idea what they are. So. Break, well, breaks. I get that. It's good to see everybody in the chat room. I just finally logged in. It looks like the chat room works. That's a plus. It does. Uh, it seems as though there are no problems getting this thing to load up. Um, does the does the stream play? Hey, it doesn't. You even got to believe it. I said it worked, and it actually did. You even have it positioned in a nice little area there above. Yeah, the, you could uh, use some uh, CSS positioning a little bit more. But hey, I I do my best. Oh, so, so spark plugs! I forgot spark plugs. Somebody mentions in the chat room. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, God, I could have gone with uh, the steering wheel. That's not really a car part per se, though. We'll lift uh, them if you got them. I guess I could say the uh, the Pittman arm. I remember that part from my truck driving days. <laughs> What's the days. Pittman arm? I have no idea. <laughs> it's what actually turns the gears when, like in a, I don't know if cars have it, but I know an 18-wheeler does. I'm probably the most mechanically ignorant truck driver who ever existed. <laughs> I mean, like, in my days when I was driving an 18-wheeler, if I broke down, it was like your Aunt Ethel broke down on the turnpike on the way to a picnic. <laughs> oh, I need to go to the auto club. Um, you know, most trucks are like, oh, shit, I'm going to get out there and tear that. I bet that camshaft blew a rod. I'm going to get yeah. out there and I'm going to rip that goddamn camshaft. I know that's what's it. I know that camshaft weighs 500 pounds, but goddamn it, I'm going to fix it. But me, yeah. I'm like, oh, no, I've got to call the auto club, please. I just get my hands dirty. They don't pay me for that. Mm, no. Which really You're is the right. At, that's really the right attitude to have. They don't pay me for that. That's, I've always wondered what happens when you do break down because obviously you have a schedule you're running to get from point A to point B. Oh, and Ziznak, I forgot to tell you, uh, 
people whose screen names start with the letter Z are also not allowed in this chat room in addition to not being allowed to start threads at Coast Cab. So I just want to pass that around. I want to put that out there. And I want to make so sure everybody's please surprised. close the browser window now. So, uh, you know something? We never talk really about our equipment that we use to do the podcast. And I think that's kind of uh, a bit of an oversight on our parts. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a really cool thing because obviously you have a lot of experience with this that, that you can share with everybody that uh, any, anyone could do a podcast like what we're doing. But to take it to the level that you do takes a, a little bit more expertise than the average person. I think when you listen to this podcast, I think it sounds... 1,000% as professional as you could ask or request any broadcast uh, to sound. Oh, yeah, especially for the price that uh, the, the consumer pays for it. Right. I'd say combined total, my mixer is 150 um, I have mic processing, which costs, well, I got it for 160 open box on eBay, but for all intents and purposes, new. Uh, my microphone, I'm using a new mic now, uh, since 2006, every episode of this show or the Trainwreck show, it's all been on one microphone. That microphone's out of the mix now. And uh, what's funny is uh, the microphone that I've replaced is about a $400 microphone new, and it's been replaced by a $50 microphone that comes with a really nice shock mount, too, <laughs> uh, for $50. It's the nice. MXL 990. And if you get on YouTube, you can see a million videos of people talking about this microphone. Singers, uh, voice actors, people in radio. Of bands from Canada who uh, get computer work from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, 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 it's really ni a nice mic because, well, first of all, it's a condenser mic, so it picks up every little mouse fart. I should really sound noisy. Let me show you how I sound without the microphone processing here. Yeah, I'm interested. Okay, here I am without microphone processing, uh, and you can hear all that background noise in the room. You hear oh, it. that's totally different. You hear yeah. it now, don't you? You can tell I'm surrounded oh, yeah. by yeah, hard walls. You sound with you know obviously you have the compressor, but you actually sound compressed now. Do I? Well, I mean, as far as the I mean, like like a cell phone conversation. Oh, I see. You, like you, you know, would, I lost a lot of dynamic range yeah. when I did that. Uh, yeah. So that that's without the processing right there. Let me go back, and here we are back with processing, and you can tell there's a remarkable difference. One hundred and sixty dollars will get you that kind of sound. That's amazing. You, you know what, Pony Boy posted about uh, pop filters and I just realized I didn't put my pop filter on so uh, my mic so can you tell a difference with that uh, you don't you don't, you don't say, am I popping a lot no you're not no you sound fine I have but a, when I saw her say that I realized hey something you, you mentioned something didn't feel right on your end and something right. didn't on mine either but I had no idea what it was but it's I don't have my pop filter in front of me and I also bought a pop filter with this type of microphone you have to there's just, right. you're not going to get away with it, uh, not having one. And also, this is a uh, condenser microphone, and the construction, uh, the inherent construction of condenser microphones is such that you don't really want, or particularly this one, you don't really want to talk directly into it without something between your disgusting, putrefied, spit-filled mouth and it. So you get yourself a pop filter, and the reason you don't want to have your disgusting, 
virus-filled, toilet-licking mouth blasting spit into this thing is because it's got a uh, it's got an element inside that is very easily damaged by any kind of moisture whatsoever. So for those of you who get right. into the podcast thing, keep that in in mind if you have a microphone that you all it, it all care to preserve. If it, it's a condenser microphone. Um, so all said, about 150 for the mixer, about 160 for the mic processing, 50 for the mic. The mic arm I'm using cost me about 40. Um, which which arm are you using? Uh, some no-name, off-brand, Chinese-manufactured piece of shit that I bought off eBay. All right, that's what I got, too. And I also have a mic riser that I've got bolted into this desk. Uh, it's really not very expensive to do all this. You can sound really nice for not a lot of money. I'm sure that I could compete in terms of how I sound right now. I'm sure it competes with any professional studio endeavor you'd find out there. So if you oh, want to yeah, get into the podcast thing... I mean, I don't know how what you'd say about this, Curtis, but I mean, I think to do it right uh, really should cost you no more than about six hundred dollars. Yeah, mean, I mean, that's when I it. look at what I spent, uh, and I bought most of my stuff through eBay. I've got a condenser mic, also. Uh, I've got a CAD, whatever CAD. Uh, I think it's what kind of mic do you have? It's a GXL twenty two hundred. That's what you said. Wasn't no, it? I'm just kidding. I don't know anything about that mic. Oh, well, yeah, it does crap. sound. It sound. No, it sounds great. I mean, you sound better today than you've ever sounded. I well, remember your headset days, and you were constantly having oh, a little. I, yeah, that it was terrible. When I go back and I listen to those shows, oh my god, I want to bite my own face. I, I just. <laughs> well, I do. I, I was once institutionalized for actually successfully doing that. Uh, well, why bite your face? Not, I mean, I have a picture of you that I keep on my desk. Just for uh, the demonstration for of ingenuity. Well, well, that when I go to <laughs> anytime I go to Muncie to the fan club, you know, when I when I make sure everybody's still doing, you know, <laughs> doing our seance around your photo. We, 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 I don't we think people it. understand that Muncie reference, and the reason he calls Muncie our fan club uh, location is because in the uh, inception of this show in two thousand and nine. Uh, it was really weird because I was just constantly getting called from people who live in Muncie. Yeah. During the show, I mean, they were just randomly people from Muncie, Indiana, calling the show. And I've been to Muncie several times, which is what <laughs> makes it really weird. I mean, holy Christ, who's been to Muncie? Who? Is, yeah. I mean, who's been to Muncie? Really? Yeah, it, it's not the uh, shining star of Indiana, that's for sure. Well, I'm not even knocking it. It's just such an inconsequential place, you know, right. which I guess is yeah, actually not. Just, I guess I just knocked it after I said I'm not knocking it. But it really is. Who gives a shit about Muncie? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the weird thing is that I didn't, I mean, you would think, I mean, it, it's not a big town, but uh, you, you would go expect that I would have known. Gotun go says there. he lived there. I don't believe that for one minute. Shut up, you liar. Uh, no, that is true. He did? <laughs> yeah, he did. Cause I retract everything I just said. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to talk tech tonight. If you want to be on the show, you can call in to talk about the subjects we're discussing, or you can uh, call to maybe get tech support. That's something we really don't get around to doing a lot on the show, and that it's not true. by our, our option or choice. People just never call in for tech support, which I'm really surprised by because... Not everyone makes a living fixing computers. A lot of people actually only use them because they have to. So yeah. I just can't believe that there aren't a lot of people who uh, 
fit into that descriptive category who uh, don't have uh, tech support problems they'd like to get answered. So we'd like to do some of those and uh, whatever else comes to mind. And, you know, I thought that it would be nice to start the show today talking about a little, this is a little bit uber techy, I guess, but, you know, sometimes you're going to be using a computer and it's just going to start doing flaky things for no apparent reason. And in many cases, that's because the hard drive is just beginning to die. Uh, you have maybe sectors that are no longer readable as they once were, and so the hard drive it well, goes it, to retrieve. I think an important thing to point out too is that on your 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 computer system, one of the only actual mechanical parts of it or moving parts is going to be your hard drive. Right. You've got a a platter with a spin uh, platter spinning with a magnetic head. Uh, reading the data on it, and that's constantly spinning at a very fast uh, rotation. Uh, the better the hard drive, the faster it's spinning. So this thing is going to get bad sectors, and it's going to have problems and wear and tear just because it is one of the, the only parts of your computer, including your, your DVD or CD-ROM drive, that actually has movable parts in it. And as you said, these, these things fail uh, explicitly because they, do, uh, they are comprised of moving parts. Um, and mm -hmm. other reasons as well. But, I mean, the fact that you have something moving, that's never a good sign as far as longevity is concerned. So what may happen is you'll have bad sectors, and then the read-write head moves into whatever position it needs to be in to retrieve whatever data you've instructed it to retrieve at that moment. And because it's got bad sectors, it has a hard time reading the data that it's supposed to be retrieving. And so the read-write head goes, oh, try reading it, no, fail. Try again, no, read again, try, fail. And it just keeps doing that and doing that. And you'll see hard drives just churning away uh, in the yeah. course of normal use, just churning away. You don't, I don't think you quite see that as much these days as you used to because hard drives ship now. Any modern hard drive ships with a lot of self-corrective technology built into the chipset. Right. Uh, well, they also have a bigger cache built into where it can store uh, heavily, you know, read and, and written files. So that too. And and one thing in our chat room, they're they're uh, talking about SSD or solid-state hard drives. Which, what I mentioned about mechanical drives, SSD drives are the next step to where uh, it's using flash technology. Uh, instead of uh, mechanical drive to kind of get away from some of these uh, problems. But they have their own inherent issues also. But go right. going back to what you uh, you were talking about with the fact that all these read and writes uh, over, over time, you, know, you do have issues. Yeah, and they even modern drives have spare sectors so that when this chipset on the hard drive determines that a sector is bad, it can swap it out for one of these spare sectors so that you go on about your life as if nothing ever happened. So in almost every case, you won't know anything ever happened. Uh, but sometimes things progress beyond that point and something does happen. And mm -hmm. there are a number of utilities you can use out there in order to attack this situation when it occurs. But one of the utilities that is probably better known in the industry uh, relative to everything else, I'd have to say is SpinWrite. Uh, yeah, it's what, industry standard. Spinrite has a few different operational modes, but there are only really two modes that you would ever primarily use, level 2 and level 4. Level 2 just scans every physical sector on the surface of the platter from beginning to end, and if it finds any unreadable sectors, it grinds away on that sector and grinds and grinds and grinds. It randomly mm -hmm. repositions the head, 
thinking that perhaps that'll be enough for it to magically read that sector. And it just keeps applying all of these different techniques, some of them based on software, some of them based on physical manipulation of the read-write head. And it attempts to recover the data in that sector. And when it does, it moves that data to a known good sector, and then it permanently closes off that sector that it recovered that data from. And then it moves on until it encounters that uh, a situation again, or if it doesn't, it completes, and you're done. Well, right. uh, and the other mode is level four, which what it does, it, it's more of, it's, it's supposedly, and the jury is way out if you ask a lot of different people as to whether this is beneficial in any way. Uh, but it is said that level four does what's considered by some to be a refreshing of the magnetic surface of the of the platter. So what it does yeah. is it actually goes sector by sector, inverting every zero to a one and every one to a zero, and then it reverts those once more. So you've got two right cycles on each sector, and then it moves on. It does a read also. Well, it has to do the read before it can invert the one and the zero. Right. It doesn't know if it's dealing with a one or a zero until it does. So... Uh, and it does that across the entire, and that mode literally takes, on average, I'd say about eight hours to complete. Uh, yeah, I mean, on an average I don't think it's a drive. bad thing to do, but I don't know that it's really going to extend the life. Um, well, the the premise there is that it refreshes the magnetic signal of right. all sectors on the physical platter. Uh, but a lot of people think it's just putting the drive through unnecessary work. And right. I, well, I believe that all those drives. I mean, w one thing in technology is you, you'll always hear about the mean time between failure, and and that's how, on average, how long is it going to take until until that device has a failure, and, and across any other device like that, you know, they do metrics on that. And and while I love you know, standard mechanical hard drives for the fact that you can get data storage cheap. I have no trust or faith in them either. And so in, anything like that that adds extra rights to it uh, and is that demanding, once I get to the point where a hard drive is failing, where I need to do that, I want to get the data off of it and move to a new drive anyway. Well, I would never um, – I mean if I run SpinWrite on a hard drive and it finds any anomalous stuff happening whatsoever – I immediately tell them they've got a bad drive and right. oh, we're going to have to replace this. Because I, I don't want to go doing whatever I'm going to do for a customer on bad hardware, only to have them come back a month later and, hey, if my exactly. computer doesn't work again. And, by the way, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's the way it inevitably is going to pan out. I'm the well, idiot. Yeah, it always comes back on you. You can do everything right but not really finish the job uh, from the point of view that I have of you know, I'm not going to keep that data on that drive. And they're going to come back to you and, and, and blame you. So it's better. I've had to, a lot of that recently. Yeah, it's better safe than sorry. That's it. My, my my policy on viruses and, and malware. I, I can I, I can clear out pretty much every known uh, malware and virus from an operating system and be reasonably comfortable that it, it's secure for the moment. But when someone brings me a computer with that, it's a reload. Every computer needs to be reloaded, you know, on a semi-regular schedule anyway. So if you get a virus, I'm not going to clean it and give it back to you and hope that you don't do the same thing again. I just, it's a fresh install, just like if a hard drive is failing, it's new hard drive time. Absolutely. I mean, I can't, uh, I can't allow a customer to walk out the door with a machine that had malware on it that wasn't just formatted and 
mm-hmm. start it over. And if I've had customers insist that I not do that in order to fix the problem, and I refuse their business. Yeah. I, I, I've literally uh, turned down business. From, first of Max all, Gravy's first, asked a good question hold in, on. in the chat. First, hold on. First of all, I don't need a customer who obviously doesn't know anything about computers or they wouldn't be calling me to begin with. I don't need a customer telling me how to fix their computer. Right. Yeah. If you called me, then then trust me. I mean, yeah, you called me. You're placing uh, your trust in my professional ability to help you. Then you give me your computer and you shut the hell up and then yeah. you pay me when it's over with. And right. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. There's no problem there. I'll do what yeah. I'm supposed to do. But I've actually actively refused money from people who really? wanted to tell me how I was going to fix their computer. No, I'm not going to fix it the way you tell me to. I mean, I do not need to leave trap doors open for myself <laughs> right. to be blamed for things in the future just so a customer doesn't have to reinstall Microsoft Office. I yeah. mean, sorry. That's just... you know, what you just said there, reinstalling Microsoft Office. It's amazing how much trouble that one little program has when it comes to a reload of, of a computer. Not, not that it's the problem, but someone brings a computer that's down for whatever reason, hard drive failing, operating system has viruses, and you ask them what all is installed on it. They tell you, oh, it's got some pictures of my, my kids or grandkids or my music files from iTunes. You reinstall everything on it, give it back to them. And then they say, but where's my office? Where's office at? You didn't tell me it had office on it. And uh, then you say, give me the give me your, your key for it and I'll get it installed. And they say, I don't know what came with it. And they don't have their key. That, that, that's the reoccurring thing that I always used to deal with is, yeah. that, you know, come on. If, if you have office, bring it with you when I'm going to reinstall your PC. Yeah, I, 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 I cover all those bases before I let anybody walk out the door. I don't need to deal with that shit. Right. Uh, Anyway, we're getting off of my spin right thing here. Uh, really really quickly, someone asked in the chat room what brand of drive uh, would be recommended. Yeah. I would say as long as you go Seagate or Western Digital, you're fine. Anything beyond that, I think you're stepping into the weeds a little bit. Yeah, well, what I was going to say is that uh, the, the one manufacturer that worries me anymore, uh, I'm trying to think with their Hitachi, their, oh, their drives. Oh, God. I'm, I'm not a fan of it all. Absolute shite. Right. Yeah, I... I I swear to you, um, 75% of the hard drives that I replace in machines are Hitachi, Hitachi. drives. 70, yeah. 75%, easily 75 And that's some yeah. pretty, I mean, I know that's only anecdotal. That's not. No, I would totally agree. I mean, you and I have a completely different experience as far as the customers and, and what we work with. And I, I totally agree with you. Um, so anyway, back on the spin right thing, there's level four operational mode, which we just described a moment ago. And uh, so the problem I'm having with SpinWrite is, um, first of all, I mean, the fact that it costs $89, I think, compared versus what you're getting from this software is a little bit atrocious. Well, really quick, because Steve Gibson made that, right? Yes. Did did he make that himself or the team? No, he wrote it himself in assembly language. Can you imagine how complicated that was? (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know, actually, what... When you really think of think about what this software is doing, when you think right. about what what would the programmer have to know about hard drives and their architecture in order to write this software? What would you have to know? What would your life oh, yeah. history have to be to bestow you with that knowledge <laughs> of how hard drives work on that kind of a bare metal level? 
that you could you could successfully write software to do what Spinrite does and be just one man. Oh yeah. Uh, well, but then again, Steve used to have a staff of like twenty people. It's my understanding back in the day. Well, that's I, what I wondered if if he actually had a, a team that worked with him on that and he just oversaw it with his vision. Because man, that that software. I mean, that and the other things he's done are so high level complicated that I couldn't imagine sitting down to try to write uh, an application to do what what that does. I mean, it's it's amazing on the hardware level, the software level, the because it's still relevant today. Like if that program worked really well in the the late nineties and early two thousands, back when PCs hadn't really made a jump to newer, better technology. That's one thing. I mean, when DOS was still heavily involved in, in a lot of apps, but to even work today, that's pretty impressive. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess it's impressive that it works today, but it's not running in the operating system. You know? right. I mean, it is running DOS to get it going. Yeah. That's but. what I mean. Yeah. Because th- th- there's a cutoff when uh, DOS became a lot less in- important to hardware manufacturers. Uh, and and I, can, I can attest to that with network cards. It used to be that, that every network card that came out would have NDIS drivers, you know, DOS drivers, all the things you needed to connect on you know, all the different operating systems. And maybe five years ago, they stopped doing that. And they got to the point to where they, they, <clears throat> excuse me, they released Linux drivers usually. They always did the, you know, the latest Microsoft you know, OS drivers. Maybe Apple, but rarely, and that was it. You know, they they really gave up on on any lower level stuff. It was frustrating because I did I used to do a lot of work with uh, creating programs to network boot and load uh, free DOS and DOS and uh, from from a network system. And when you don't have drivers that work with it, you have to piece them together yourself from old drivers. It was, it's annoying. Well, so what I was getting at here with Spinrite is mm-hmm. that. Uh, I don't know what's going on with my law. I don't know why I have to crank myself up so high to be heard. Just a second. This is pissing me off. Yeah, that's weird. Hello, hello. Because like yeah. you sound fine. Okay, well, we're still working out kinks here. Anyway, uh, so one of the problems I'm noticing with Spinrite is as hard drive capacities have increased, Spinrite has become less and less reliable. And it is almost assured, actually, it's not almost assured, it is definite that when a hard drive is, I think, over 640 gigabytes, mm-hmm. you are going to get a division overflow error uh, reported by Spinrite. The whole thing is going to barf on itself and stop. And oh, yeah. this software, right drive that big. This software has not been updated. This software that costs ninety dollars has not been updated since two thousand and four. Uh so if you have a drive that's over 640 gigabytes and you try and run Spinrite, you're going to get the division overflow error. I've researched it all over the place until I'm blue in the face. And I finally decided a while back that I was going to try one of the solutions, which is, as you mentioned, Spinrite comes packaged with free DOS so that it has some semblance of it's got to have some kind of operating system in order to run. And yeah. because Spinrite itself is it's an exe, it's, it's an Right, it's an application on top of. Right, and so it's got to have some sort of operating environment. So Steve Gibson packages it with FreeDOS, FreeDOS rather than DOS because DOS is licensed. FreeDOS, right. well, they're both licensed, but the licensing is very different for the two. 
One is Microsoft's product, and they're not going to let just anybody package DOS with whatever product they want to package it with. Right, it'd be 199 for it then. Uh, would it really? No, I don't know. <laughs> I thought, no. wow, there's this is common knowledge. Right? <laughs> no. Okay. So uh, one of the solutions that's out there, and I tried this before, was to replace the uh, free DOS with actual DOS, and that supposedly would fix the problem. The problem supposedly was not spin right. It was the free DOS. It's the way it's able packaged. to read the file allocation table or something. <clears throat> I don't know what how they came to that conclusion. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, all I know yeah, is that I mean, that was suggested. It would make sense that if the operating system has a limitation on how we can read the uh, the, the the fat table on the drive or, or the formatting of the drive, that uh, it would all it would carry that limitation over to the to the program. Yeah, actually, uh, it 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 has been described in various places along those lines. That being mm-hmm. the uh, root of the problem. Well, so, here's a question: Could yeah. you boot into? I'm sorry. Uh, can, could you boot into uh, like a Windows XP pre uh, preloading environment and run it from there from DOS? Um, I don't think so because I think if you did that, you wouldn't. The the I think the chipset, uh, I think the drive controller wouldn't have the access to the drive that it needs. Okay, that's my understanding. It can't run from within an operating system, but I mean there is uh, Ultimate Boot CD four Win, which yeah. you can boot off of and have an actual bootable Windows environment. And I I guess I could try it in there. I never have, but... Yeah, I mean, I never thought about it, but... That may fix this problem, actually. It's worth a try. Huh. I hadn't thought about that. Wow, well, you're a it, smart, I mean, it shouldn't smart have man. exclusive access to the drive, because it's loading everything into a RAM drive. So, I mean, because that's how I do sometimes for... If, if I have a computer that is really annoying with trying to do network booting to, to use, like, uh, Semantic Ghost to make a backup of it, I'll boot it into a... a a live version of Windows. Uh, that's just a generic way of saying that it's uh, booted from a disk, uh, but it's really a pre, I think, pre-exchange environment or PE. And uh, from there, access the drive and make the image that I need to. Well, the root of my gripe here is that this application costs $90. It has not been updated. And actually, for the site license, which I have, I think mm-hmm. it was 400 Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it costs that much money, and it's not been updated since 2004. Uh, I don't know a lot of people who are buying modern hardware that are getting anything below at least 640 gigabytes. 750. Oh, yeah, I mean, you're, it's pretty unusual, actually, that you get below that Yeah, these for a days. mechanical drive, yeah. And it's really annoying the crap out of me, and I messaged Steve on Twitter one time and asked him if he's going to update this at any point in the future. Oh, let me get back to what the solution to this supposedly was. So I tried this in the past. You create a bootable USB stick, uh, an actual DOS bootable, not free DOS bootable, but DOS bootable USB stick, and then you just copy the uh, spinwrite.exe file onto that, and then you boot from it. You'll get a DOS prompt. You type spinwrite. It runs, and then you go from there. I tried this in the past. I booted from it. I ran it. I still got the division overflow error. And then today, out of frustration, thinking, man, did I just do something stupid? Was I, did I miss something the last mm. time I did this? 
So I tried again, and it still didn't fix it. And I've come to the conclusion that Spinrite is just shit. Yeah, well, I mean, it's everything has its day when it's done, and I don't but think he's going to be updating have, it. It doesn't have to be done. I suspect this is a really simple problem to fix. I, I, I don't get the impression this is a big deal to fix. I don't understand yeah, why it's not getting fixed. Are you telling me you've not touched this software since 2004, and you're making enough money off of this software that you don't have to hold down any other game, gameful employment? Right. I mean, is what's the problem here? I don't understand why this can't be updated. And he completely well, blew me Leo off. Because doesn't have time for him to do that. I guess not. He completely blew me off on Twitter. Didn't answer a thing. Really? Yeah. I don't know. He keeps... that, that, that surprises me because he always seems to... Well, I, mean, I don't I've think you like reason the, to interact with them, but I don't think you like the question I asked. I don't <laughs> yeah, think you called you, him out. I don't think he wants. To, well, I'm sure other people are saying the same thing to him. I just don't think he wants to be bothered to, by updating the software. I don't think he wants to get no, bothered by that. True. Hey, uh, hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Yeah. What's up? Who's this? Hey, it's his next. No, I don't believe you. Next caller. No, it's really me. <laughs> <laughs> Please take take a picture of your phone and send it to us. I expected your voice to be a little scratchier than it is. Well, like, oh, geez, man. You, something like that. I expected like, like something, or something. I expected something like, yeah, this is this neck. How's it going, y'all? How's it going? <laughs> Almost as Muppet like. Oh, who yeah, does that well, sound uh, like? Yeah, that's, that's, it is what it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't really. When I hear my own voice, it always sounds weird to me. So I don't, I don't know. No, you I got a pretty good radio it. voice. You should, uh, you sh- yeah, you should be doing this too. You should be doing a podcast. You're a pretty yeah, entertaining person. Now. You're a pretty entertaining person. I would think that you would do a good podcast. Have yeah, you ever thought about I try, it? I, I, I'm, I'm more of the um, uh, musician type. I play guitar and stuff like that. So uh, I, would, yeah. I don't think you would be a very good musician. But if only you would do a podcast, it would really be, it would really be something. No, I'm kidding. All right. Since, since you're pressing the point, I'll, I'll um, yeah, I'll put something together. So what's but, up? Um, yeah, I, yeah, we'll need to I do have a question, actually. Go ahead. Well, um, I was saying in the chat room, I got a uh, an Asus, this uh, gaming laptop. A friend of mine, um, he's a uh, one of those uh, you know fail type gamers, rage fail quit type of gamers. So he's smacked the shit out of this thing. I've seen him do it. Um, anyway, he must have uh, you know he hit the base of the the laptop, which is normally where you know hard drive is, stuff like that, battery, whatever. Um, now it's not powering on, you, you know, it plugs in, battery lights blinking, um, but, you know, nothing when I hit the, uh, the power. I just reseeded everything, put it all back, uh, and still the same thing. Like, um, and, and it kind of, it got me thinking about, uh, as far as, you know, when you power a laptop, you plug the thing in and I, for some reason I'd always thought that the power goes through the battery or, or, you know, parallel with the battery and, and then in through the rest of the computer so that if there was a short and you weren't charging the battery, you know, if the power wasn't getting to the battery, then it wouldn't get to the rest of the computer anyway. Well, sense? that's my understanding is that, well, there are two possibilities. One is that, yeah, it's powering off the battery. The other is that I don't know what it's called, but in electronics there's a principle for analyzing an electrical waveform and on the spot, boom, without missing one cycle in the crest or the trough of that electrical waveform, it can just jump in and carry on the uh, electrical signal. Uh, That's another way that that could be happening. I don't know what that's called. I'm not really an electronics genius. 
But Neither I would think I. I would think that pretty much any laptop that you would own would be powering directly off the battery unless the battery's not there. What do you think, Curtis? Right. No, that, that's right. I mean, the so uh, the, if I understood your problem correctly, when you are plugged into power or plugged into your your battery, you you have a line on your battery. It's connected to a known good power source, and the laptop powers on, but the battery doesn't charge. No, there's no, no power whatsoever. No on power the at all. Okay, so probably what's happened. In, the battery indicator blinks. Okay, so what I would guess has happened uh, where your your power plugs into the laptop. If, if the the guy who was using it, you know, like you said, was a, a gamer who was really animated, the the <laughs> solder joint where it plugs in, those will come loose when, when any pressure gets applied to where the at the point of where your your AC adapter plugs in, those solder joints will come loose, and you're not able to make a full connection to the motherboard. Sometimes it might okay. connect, but for the most part, it won't. Uh, that that's really not that bad of a repair to do if if you're handy at all with a soldering iron. If you take the entire system apart, you'll see very clearly broken solder joints, and it could be replaced easily. You really need a soldering station for this type of stuff. We though. do, yeah. You know, not yeah, a soldering be iron because if you're if all you're doing is repairing the solder joint, that's fine. But if you're going to desolder and try to put it on, put a new one on, that's when you want to send it to a to a professional because you're looking at a multi layer board. You could really damage it with with a lot of heat. But yeah, I mean, I I was thinking it's it's probably some sort of a short. And what I was going to do is look for like you were saying broken connections and and solder points. Um, but uh, as but far as very uh, replacing obvious. a whole, like, like if you were to take the if you were to take the I shell, did, I did <laughs> sorry, if you take the shell off of the laptop and uh, plug it into power, you'll you'll be able to tell very quickly if there's a, a broken solder joint there. Uh, the the other possibility is just the inverter, or where, where the power of the board that that plugs in. Well, first off, you have where the power comes in, uh, the socket there, and then the board that is plugged into, which probably has all of your lights on it. Also, that could just be bad. That that's a really simple fix because that usually just has a few ribbon cables on it. You can buy them on eBay, uh, usually pretty cheap for most most popular laptops. And replace that board. So, Curtis, I'm not sure I understand what you're saying you think is wrong here. Are you saying you think that the DC jack is broken? Yeah, the DC jack, yeah. Okay, well, on, point. if this laptop is has been made within the last three years, uh, even four years, well, that's a little bit on the edge, but I'd say you're pretty safe even within four years. It's pretty hard to find them where they have to be soldered onto the actual motherboard. In most cases, they're on a daughter card, a daughter oh, yes. board. Uh, you just throw that out and throw a new one in, or they're not even on a board. They're just on a, it's just a DC jack that slips into a little slot that retains it there at the hole, uh, up next yeah, to the chassis. Yeah, it depends on the manufacturer. Some still solder. I mean, it uh, could be yeah. soldered to uh, another board. But. Well, you know what? The only modern laptop I have ever seen, ever, where it was soldered directly onto the board is an MSI laptop. Who would buy oh, really an, M- who would buy an MSI laptop? <laughs> yeah. Who? Maybe a netbook. It was such a piece of shit. I couldn't believe that someone paid for this thing, and I'll bet you they paid a lot of money for it, too. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Like Normally, the, the power source will be separate from the board then on the laptop. Is that, is that it correct? Will. Yeah, it'll either be on a board, which, as Curtis said, will have... Board. It, it may have. It may be on a, a daughter board that's got a USB port on it, maybe some LED lights, as Curtis said, or there won't be any board at all. It'll just be a DC jack 
with two wires or four wires coming off of it. Uh, and it's a harness that's just going straight into the motherboard and it plugs into the motherboard. So in a lot of cases, you're not going to be doing any soldering. You're just going to unplug it and plug a new one in and be done with it. Yeah, yeah. I've never messed with uh, power sources in, inside a laptop. It's, it's, it's so I'm easy. Like, dude, go, I know. know I, I've seen the stuff that you've talked about on Coast Gab as far as your technical expertise, and I am certain yeah. I'm certain you'll have no problem with this. The, yeah, don't look at it as a laptop. It's just a... You know, a series of components coming together. The biggest thing I'll tell you is as you're taking the screws off, have a piece of paper on a table next to you and draw little squares on that paper and label clearly where you're getting these screws from and separate them into groups. Not only is that going to keep you from screwing up where you put the screws, because it's hard to remember on a laptop. No, here's how you do that. I what you want to do is take, uh, do you know the plastic jars. foam? Jars is uh, good. That. Jars yeah, are good. Little weed, weed jars. <laughs> as long as they're labeled in some way, you know, you got to label them. But if you do, do the thing on paper, that'll not only keep them organized, but then you can work backwards and you'll know kind of what order to do everything in as well. That helps too. Well, well, here, here's my tip for that. You, you know the packing material, the, the plastic kind of foam stuff that you can poke holes into? Uh, ah. what, what I do is take that. Usually you can get a piece of that that's about the same size as your laptop. As you take a screw out, Pop it into the the foam exactly. You know, build a, a frame yeah, of reference on in. that. Pop each of them in there. Then you can keep that foam board. You know, move it around everywhere you need to, and all the screws are going to stay in one spot. And you know exactly where they're placed relative relative to each other to put back into the the laptop. Yeah, that, that's a really good idea. Um, yeah, I mean, um, thanks, guys. Um, you know, I'm going to see what I can do here. I don't. I don't really know. Um, as or you far can just as, uh, sh- you can. He's talking about buying a new motherboard, and I'm like, dude, I. Can't that's probably not necessary. Or the yeah. other option is you can just ship it to me and pay me ninety dollars. Yeah, I'll think about that. Well, in your case, we'll make it one twenty. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. All right, guys, thanks a lot, man. Okay, brother. No problem. Take care. Have a good one. Good to talk to you. Yeah. That's the uh, the world renowned Ziznak. Yeah. From Coast Gab. Is that a famous first? That's a famous first. He's never called Sweet. in. There are a lot of Coast Gabbers I'd like to call in. I wish Eddie Coyle. I asked Eddie Coyle to co-host the show with me at one time. Well, he'd he be would, really good right now because of the fact he's he was right there in the heart of the storm. Yeah, with he the, won't do the Boston it. Marathon thing. I don't know why. He would probably be five times the host I am just because of his photographic memory. There's nothing you can talk about to him. That he won't be able to comment on in some way. Oh yeah, it's no, pretty, I agree. I mean, it's just from it, it's pretty from, unusual that you bump into someone who's like that. He, I'm sure it's because he's actually technically brain damaged in some way, and that's yeah. given him some crazy ability to remember like <laughs> how many links he dropped in 1985 on a nice September evening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's one of he those. He doesn't people. know what day it is, but man, he has a, a wide uh, series of knowledge. <laughs> So that's Zeznak calling in for a little bit of tech support tonight on the spec sheet with Curtis Thornton, and you can do the same. And that phone number that phone number is 573-837-4948. What were you going to say? Oh, no, I said please do call. What do you want to talk about? Uh, well, let's talk. Uh, we're going to go uh, mobile phone heavy for a little while. Well, did we wrap up the hard drive thing, really? I mean, the spin right thing, I guess my well, broader point was just that I'm tired of Steve Gibson being lauded for spin right 20 years ago. Hey, that was wonderful. It was really working well for people. 
back when drives were small. They didn't have all the self-correcting technologies built into the chipset that they now have. I mean, what's happening in the firmware on a hard drive today versus what was happening on one in the 90s, this thing is probably in some ways as smart as the average chipset on a PC (laughs) in 1993 or 94. I mean... There's a lot of stuff happening on a hard drive today that just didn't happen a long time ago. Right. And I think Spinrite has utterly and completely failed to keep up with the times. And I'm well, not blaming Steve for that. People are still willing to buy it and pay him for it. Okay, fine. Take the money. That's great. But could you update the thing possibly? That's my only yeah. point. And I'm tired of hearing him lauded for the software. And until he, until he fixes this, until he updates it and makes it work on modern hardware, not only is there this problem, but... I'm also finding a wide array of chipsets uh, that it just does not run with. So I have a Dell that's on my workbench here about 10 feet away from me, and it constantly has the side opened up just for the purpose of plugging drives into it because I know Spinrite works with the chipset on this motherboard. It's ridiculous. I'm tired of it. Well, the other thing, too, is I'm sure it has problems with anything that uses an EFI uh, BIOS. Because that that just makes the world of being a PC repair person that much ha- more complicated. Uh, the the fact that you have to deal with you know specific boot environments and Microsoft is big on that. That they really want to lock down the, the the BIOS of a system to where you oh, can't they do. use all the tools we're used to using. You know, I'm starting to I'm starting to notice with this what is it called UEFI, which yeah. is, is replacing BIOS. There no longer is a BIOS, right? Am I right. understanding that correctly? Well, there is. It's just it's it's separated away from what you're used to experiencing. Well, I've noticed that it does a lot of weird things. For instance, you and this seems universal across brands. Uh, yeah, if, what's the standard? I, I think Intel, Microsoft, and maybe a couple other companies in the hardware world. It, well, and Apple too. Apple is big into EFI. Uh, are really pushing to have a, a standard environment for it. Well, one of the things I've noticed about this new system is that when you want to boot from something other than the hard, the hard drive, let's say you want to boot from the optical drive, so mm-hmm. you press whatever key is required to be pressed when it's starting up in order to have a boot menu and say what you want to boot from, I'm beginning to notice that while all of these machines seem as if they do not list the optical drive as an available boot device unless there's a disk in that drive. And is, no, that's correct, yeah. It annoys the shit out of me. It took me, number one, a long time to figure out that that's what was happening. It took me longer than it should. I'll put, <laughs> I'll put it that way. I yeah. feel a little bit... Uh, because it's, it's rudimentary. You, you wouldn't expect it to be a problem. I feel a little bit water-headed after that experience. Um, well, a little self-conscious. I, I, just bought, I just upgraded my entire system, and uh, it's the first I've had that has that, that UEFI uh, BIOS. And it, it drove me crazy trying to get all the settings correct, or at least the way I wanted it, because I wanted it to, to dual boot uh, operating systems. And uh, it's frustrating. Yeah. So anyway, I asked you a second ago, what do you want to talk about? And then I interrupted you. Yeah, well, well thanks for that. It's uh, why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's why it works so well. I talk, you interrupt, then we get do something better. Uh, <laughs> okay, the, the, the first story I have for us is... Uh, Today is the uh, the big launch of the Firefox OS phones. Uh, oh, there's boy. a Spanish company, I think, called Geeks Phone that uh, started selling the first actual uh, handsets that use Firefox OS. 
and they sold out just a couple hours after they went on sale. And uh, I wanted to get your opinion. What do you, ha, have you looked at Firefox OS for mobile phones? No. And if so, what's your opinion? Mm, I haven't looked at it, but uh, no reason I can't tablet. do that now. Um, I'm sure there are a million videos on YouTube giving a bit of a rundown as to how. The, let me give you my first impressions here. Okay. Uh, I'll just see it for the first time in front of everybody. Android Authority reporting live here from Barcelona, Mobile World Congress. Barcelona. I think this is a big mistake. Not because I've seen it and I don't like it, but just because I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of the mobile ecosystem uh, and, and where it's all headed. And I don't think this, nor do I think Ubuntu's new mobile operating system is it. And I'm really, I was already disgusted with the new Unity interface in Ubuntu which started, I guess, with uh, 10.10, version 10.10 of Ubuntu. I think that's where that came. And that's the, uh, instead of having the uh, system menu and the applications menu, and then I think the other one is places. What's that called? Is that KDE or is that... uh, Um, um, That interface has a name, and I can't remember what it is. But Anyway, instead of having that, you have a bar, a vertical bar, on the left-hand side of the screen. So here I am on a 24-inch monitor. Uh, well, this one's not really 24 inches, but let's pretend I am on a 24-inch monitor. Gnome. And I've got all of this... Yeah, GNOME or GNOME. <laughs> yeah. I've got all of this desktop real estate, but no, for everything I want to do, they're going to relegate me to this vertical bar on the left-hand side, which, by the way requires you to scroll up and down the bar if you have too many things there. Never mind the fact I've got all of this screen real estate that could be used for something. Uh, And it turns out that this interface is, uh, well, I should say the, the interface on the new Ubuntu mobile operating system is entirely reminiscent of this new uh, Unity interface that they yeah, included like in Ubuntu. On a, on a mobile device, though. I well, mean, maybe I, I like it is it one. Tablet. I'm sure it could probably is great on a mobile device, but I'm tired of the tail wagging the dog, and that's what's happening here. Uh, yeah. The desktop environment in Ubuntu, in Windows, it's happening in in on uh, Mac OS. Yeah, uh, there's well, uh, no. I totally agree. The, the the fact that people are trying to change the the device you hold in your hand to make a phone call with and surf the web well trying to make my desktop pc like the device that's in my pocket and there's no need there's no need for that that's what the new metro interface on windows 8 is all about making my computer like my phone which i wouldn't even want the metro interface on a phone they're going to get they're going to bring back the the start menu yeah we talked a little bit about that last week uh and between my crying we uh (laughs) Yeah, that. I like I am jams in the chat room mentioned uh, Unity is easily the worst uh, worst thing that the Linux community has created. Well, next to PC Linux OS, which that was the worst PC Linux OS. And the really bad thing about Ubuntu is that the Ubuntu community is so largely comprised of socially inept, Asperger's driven, non-laid ponytail, neckbeard, <laughs> douchebag jizz buckets who are utterly and completely insecure about the fact that someone may not like what they've opted to do with this operating system. It is so replete with these types of people that if you dare 
offer a suggestion about the operating system that deviates from what the official line is, you're mm. you're 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 flamed, you're trolled, you're told to get the f out of the forum, you're called a troll. I do not like the Linux community at all, and I don't think Linux deserves to be the dominant desktop operating system. Number one, because it's inferior. I'm sorry, I'd much rather use Windows 7 than any Linux variant on a desktop any day. I swear to you, Windows 7 runs a million times snappier on my desktop PC than any variant of Linux I can find today. And I don't know what's happened, but Linus Torvalds isn't too impressed himself. The guy who wrote the original Linux kernel. Even he himself says that Linux has turned into a bloated pile of shit. And he's well, embarrassed and by I mean, it. The, the thing is, though, that when you use specific versions of Linux for for your purpose, like if you're on a, running a, a web server or a file file storage or a network uh, storage system, I'm going to pick Linux over Windows any day. That's I mean, well, yeah, I mean, but that we're talking about the desktop Windows environment. for corporate networks, but at the same time, resource wise and uh, specific tasks, Linux blows it away on your desktop. Yeah, you. you I'll give you some room to be correct on that one. Well, that's but, uh, all we're talking about is the desktop. I don't want a web server yeah. running Windows. Right. I, I don't know anyone in the know. You know, the smart money doesn't do that. The smart money has Linux running a server. Right. Uh, well, you save yourself so many licensing fees. There's that, and I think it's just rock solid. I mean, yeah. you can take a Linux box, put it in the corner, walk away for five years, and come back, and it's going to be running still. Stable. Yeah. Well, well the, the problem is that... Like I used to complain about Android for a long time that it just didn't deliver the experience you needed. Well, Linux on the desktop you know, is the best case for that. That here you have this rock solid operating system uh, in core, but no one really has done a good job of of converting it into a, a an experience to compare to the other major OSs. The one that comes close with uh, Ubuntu, what you said is pretty much correct <laughs> across the board that. Try to try to be a newbie in that and, and get involved, and you're just going to get slammed down. Yeah, you cannot. You you better not dare go into an Ubuntu forum with all the unlaid, closeted homosexual neckbeards trolling around in there. You better not say anything bad about that operating system, or you're going to be locked out. You're going to be shut up because this is the only aspect of the lives these people lead where they feel in control. They never got the girl. They were never picked for the basketball team or the football team. They never had any friends who weren't suspected of being potential school shooters. These people have (laughs) nothing to draw from but this. This is their world. This is the one facet of their lives where they feel superior to others, they feel in control, and they feel like the go-to guy. They feel like the popular kid in town. And this is the one area, and you are not going to take that away from them. I see that, I perceive that to be the entire mentality behind why it is that these neckbeards are such dicks to people. That's why I don't think desktop Linux deserves to uh, succeed, not just because I think uh, it's a poor user experience, but I also think that the community has demonstrated itself not to be particularly friendly. Sorry, I'd rather call uh, a nameless, faceless, soulless corporation and speak to someone in India before dealing with a neckbeard. <laughs> well, uh, have you had many conversations with Microsoft? A few. 
<laughs> say because that, that's not okay. Make you maybe go crazy. I'm a little extreme in my point there, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just that, saying uh, that, that that's something I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. But really quick, I want everyone in the chat room who's listening to this live, and then people who download this later, go to Twitter right now and and type in anything you want to. But at the end of it, put hashtag MV rant. Oh come on! It's this great. isn't about no, that's, me, that's Curtis. Awesome. This is your show. It's not about. But no, me. I love it. Well, and I think the people in the chat room do too. I'm tired. So I'm so sick and tired of the tail wagging the dog. I'm tired of my desktop having to be relegated to a useless stack of shite because someone thought it should be just like my phone. I wouldn't even use Metro on a mobile device. You think I want yeah. Metro on my PC? I've seen Windows Phone. I also know that three percent of the world uses it. It's big in Russia, I hear, though. It's also yeah. big in some other Eastern Soviet block shithole country that no one would ever drink the water in or venture to. I don't care about that fact. What I care about is that my PC use remains unfettered and efficient. And when I want to create new user accounts in Windows 8 and I'm dumped into the Metro interface in order to do that, that is an administrative task. God damn it! Creating new <laughs> users? You're telling yes. me that dumping me in Metro to create new user accounts makes sense? That's an administrative task. That is so not the consumery, uh, touchy-feely, let's have fun with a PC because now it's a consumption device. It's no longer a productivity device. It's a consumption device. That is the type of stuff that's really irritating me about Microsoft. Yeah, well, the, the whole thing about going to the Metro interface for a user, you, you struck a nerve with me there because that is the most annoying thing in the world. I hate that they try to tie any of your accounts to a Microsoft uh, cloud service. Is I don't there care any to way have to my make, login to my there, desktop connected to the cloud. Is there any way to make that not happen when I go in to change user accounts around that I don't go into Metro? Is there yeah, any can, way to not have Metro for that type of stuff? Well, yeah, if you go to uh, – Really? If you go right into the desktop and uh -huh. then open up Windows Explorer – uh -huh. And go to uh, control panel from there. Right. I'm pretty sure you can no, still if you create click all that. A, no, you won't. You'll click user accounts and you'll be taken into the Metro interface. I got to test it really quick. Yeah, go right ahead and prepare to uh, suck your own eyeballs out of their sockets yeah. when you find uh, that I'm correct. It's just insufferable and infuriating. Microsoft is a dying company. They deserve to be. I don't understand how Steve Ballmer still has a job. He's so You're correct. That's exactly what just happened to me. He's so unhip. He's so outside the loop. He goes to he goes to interviews, like sit down interviews that are on neutral territory that are hosted by people who have nothing to do with Microsoft. They're not even they're not Microsoft sycophants or apologists or employees. Nothing. They're not even Microsoft bloggers. It's just a random tech crowd. And he'll get up toward the end of the interview and start prancing around on the stage to tell everybody what a great company Microsoft is. He's still doing oh, yeah. that shit. That illustrates to you how out of touch this guy is. How he was out of touch five years ago. He was. It also yeah. illustrates to you how incapable he is of perceiving how the man on the street sees his company because the audience was just in stunned silence as they were standing there listening to this man on this stage, this ape, on this stage, this dumb idiot, male monkey, alpha male jizz bag. This guy is every asshole who's ever given you a problem about something in your life. Whether it was paying a bill late, showing up to work five minutes late, taking one too many smoke breaks, failing to fill out your TPS report, 
You go down the list of things that have annoyed you about assholes you've encountered in your day-to-day life. Steve Ballmer is that guy who has caused a problem for you at some point in your life. This is not the recipe for hipness and coolness and making a great, hip, modern, youthful product that people are interested in buying. Uh, Hi there. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hello. How are you guys tonight? What's up? Who's this? This is uh, Andrew Gottoon on the Hey, I, I'm glad you called, just, if anything, so I can know how to pronounce your username correctly. Gatun. Thank you. Gatun. I'm like, yeah, it, I'm, I'm like basically go, like two words. I'm like, Gotatoin is in the chat room <laughs> saying that I should speak a little more quietly and more slowly. Yeah. Anyway, what's, what's up, brother? Oh, not a lot. <laughs> Don't have a lot going on. I've got, hmm. uh, right now, Google's pissing me off. Uh my, uh, you guys were talking about Windows 8, so I had to call in about Windows uh, 8 because I, 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 besides the Metro pieces of it, Windows 8 has been absolutely awesome. Now, I am running an Enterprise Edition version of it, so mm-hmm. things are a little bit different on the Metro side. So, mm-hmm. Are they? In and, what way? I didn't know that. What In what way? Uh, like you guys were talking about the, the actual getting to uh, – uh, user control right. or stuff Using like Active that directory right or uh or or uh what, what are you using for your user administration probably not user Windows. accounts oh i'm sorry i'll shut up go ahead no no this is a this is a standalone uh, uh laptop so okay. it isn't that's it isn't part of any domain or anything like that now i do actually have mine tied to my office 365 business account mm-hmm. i have so, the same thing for my desktop but not my do you find there's any yeah. real do you find there's any real benefit in tying a Microsoft account to your Windows login? No. Uh, really. The the only thing I found so far, and uh this is just because I kind of played around with the SkyDrive stuff for a little bit just to see how well it worked. That was actually kind of cool. I kinda liked being able to just click a button and it saves all my stuff right to their SkyDrive. Mm. Yeah, but you can install the SkyDrive app and do the same thing. Yeah, um, in my case, see, I had SkyDrive Pro with our Office 365 account, so it went directly to my um, SharePoint site, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, in my opinion, made SharePoint worthwhile having because before, I mean, messing with SharePoint is such a pain. Oh, but when you set it up right with, with workflows, it can be great. It can be, except for... Who has the time? Yeah, <laughs> I will agree there. <laughs> so I'm uh, kind of curious about something. It's really funny to me. Um, Gotun, I guess you're aware of the fact that SkyDrive existed like five years ago, right? Yeah. It's called LiveDrive. Uh, was it? Yeah, it was It was called a million different things. Uh, and of they course tried it to was. integrate a thousand different things together. Of course. Because yeah. Well, yeah, what you were was. saying about Steve Ballmer earlier, that's the reason why it never... I mean, it, they now had, it's SkyDrive still isn't great for a name. Since its inception, since SkyDrive's inception, I've been sitting here saying to myself, okay, the company is Microsoft. This operating system is made by Microsoft. SkyDrive is made by Microsoft. I have a Microsoft login. I think I'll use that. Oh, but wait, will it ever be accessible from Windows Explorer where I can just double-click on my SkyDrive and get in? Oh, no, it won't. Oh, but then a little thing called Google Drive comes along, 
And suddenly Microsoft decides, oh, people might want to use SkyDrive. Okay, we'll do something with that. That's how behind they are. That's how imperceptive they are. They're just a horrible company. If you have stock in Microsoft, I'm sorry. (laughs) My condolences to you. It's as if a child has died and I'm just trying to make you feel better. I'm really sorry about that. There's never been a better example of stagnation in the stock market than a Microsoft share. I think it's been at like $28 a share since 1931. Well, I was going to say that the the theme here to me, what you were saying about Steve Gibson and Spinrite is exactly the same thing as Microsoft and Apple. You hear these companies that innovated with something and then they become stagnant and they, 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 they feed off of their past experiences and never get to the next point. So go tune. I mean, what I guess my point is, what is your opinion on Microsoft as a company? I mean, just as this one example is discussed here of SkyDrive having existed five years ago, and only now Microsoft has been clever enough to figure out some way to let people actively and conveniently and efficiently use it. I mean, what, what what's going on with this company? What are your thoughts? Uh. Maybe you like Microsoft. I mean, I, their own, I don't mean to they're, assume they're everybody way thinks the big. way I do. Well, what they've I'm going to point delved, out, go ahead. They, they've delved so much into the development of their products, and they've got so many different divisions and so many different things. None of their people work together with each other. I mean, look at the their office products and their operating system are written in two separate, you know, they they have multiple coding languages That's within the their same make. stuff yeah. that they've that they've built their own they have such a huge environment that they just they've never been able to coexist amongst themselves let alone trying to coexist with everything else that's out in the world and they have uh go ahead Curtis I'm sorry I was going to say to to make the uh, to expand on the point that that Gotun was going to say or was saying that Microsoft has one team that generates most of their income for them in the the office world, and and they write in one programming language. Then another section of Microsoft goes and develops its own layer on top of the same programming language, which is .NET, and they promote this as the way to develop applications from this point forward, and they push everybody to use it. Then they go back to the office team and try to convince them Hey, you need to use .NET also for all of your Office tools. The Office people look at them and say, "I don't think so. That's crap," and then push them away. So the, the same company can't even get on the same board or on the board to use this. You know, billions of dollars they've spent to make .NET the beast that it is today, and their own their own top selling team doesn't want to use it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and so I, that, to me, that's the best example of how behind the times and confused Microsoft is. Now, there, there's another thing. We were discussing Windows 8, and another piece of that is going to be the new Office product of 2013 and the new Office 365 Home Editions. And that's going – I mean, you're basically pushing some uh, – the, the whole new setup is cloud-based, very right. much like Windows 8 is. If you haven't seen Windows or Office 2013 yet – I played around with it quite for a while, uh, and I don't dislike it, but I also, at the same time, none of the integration features that I was mentioning earlier about the SkyDrive stuff work as well. 
Well, let, let me so, tell you this, because I've been using uh, Office uh, 2013 for a while. I, I got a version of it directly from, from Microsoft and tested it out on multiple computers, ultimately purchased a Live 365 account uh, or Office 365 account, and, and this surprised me to happen. So I have a, a Windows 8 tablet, a Windows 8 desktop, and then just a Windows 7 laptop. I go to open a spreadsheet in my SkyDrive on the desktop, get it set up and you know fill it out, get it going the way I want it to, open it up on the tablet, then close it on the desktop, and I can't open it on the desktop or the laptop anymore because the tablet opens it and has it locked. And I thought, hmm. of all the technology that they've put into this and the synchronization they have, I actually got a file locked error on one of the computers saying I need to close it and save it on, on the tablet. And at that point, wow. even though I've invested money in, in all of this, I thought, how ridiculous is that? That's just an abomination. I hate this company so much. Yeah. You know, does SkyDrive still limit you to 300 megabytes in individual file size, regardless no, of how much space you have? anything that big. But a lot of people do. I mean, I have full ISOs of operating systems uploaded to my Google Drive. Um, I've got the 400 gigabyte Google Drive package. And I believe me, I use a lot of that. Um, kind of varies, but I, I, that would be a useless product to me. Why, if I have, let's say, 25 gigabytes of SkyDrive storage, what business is it of theirs how big my files are? Oh, I'll, right. be, I'll bet you this is about piracy. I forgot. That's what this is. It's about piracy. I'm sorry. Yeah, but the, uh, the, it's according to the Wikipedia page about the SkyDrive, it's still at a 300 megabit. That's great. Cap. That's wonderful. How useful. Yeah. So not only is the product sort of like five years late in terms of being a meaningful part of my life, but it's artificially hobbled. That's great. Right. Thanks, Microsoft. Yeah. Oh, you know something? And, we uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We have uh, we have another caller. It looks like uh, oh, do we? We have is he? We, oh, we have Steve Ballmer. He's calling in. Hi, Steve. Hi. How's it going? Hi. Leo, I really want to ask you, we've been sitting here talking about your company, and some may say we haven't shown your company in the most favorable light, and I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on some of the things we have to say here. Well, I just want to say I love this company. Oh, my God, I love this company. It's just the greatest company. Um, if you don't love this company, you're missing out, baby. I love this company. Yeah, but there's some very specific complaints that people may have in the course of criticizing Microsoft some of which is the compartmentalization, the bureaucracy, the stacked ranking where you bring 10 people into a room and say, we're going to have a project that you're going to do, and two of you are going to be fired at the end of it arbitrarily just because that's what we do at Microsoft. And you learned that from the CEO of GE as if that makes it somehow a valid approach to doing business. And so a lot of people think your company is just really a vaginal secretion. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I love this company. Uh, I really love this company. I think uh, I think I love this company, and I, I want to impart upon everybody out there the degree to which I love this company. I love this company! Ah! And don't mind my sweaty armpits. I'm sorry about that. That's just the way I roll. Well, that's well, Steve. Steve uh, uh, tell us what you think about developers. <clears throat> developers, developers, developers. developers. <laughs> I love this company. Let me read from the script here, line three. There it is. I love this company. I love this company. 
All right, well, that's Steve Ballmer. Uh, really <laughs> Thanks, insightful. Steve. I would say this call should definitely be played at the next shareholders meeting. I think that that's going to get you somewhere. Well, I just want everyone to know I love this company. We know you do, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. You too. Bye. That's Steve Ballmer. He uh, just wanted to set the record straight. That's what an great. asshole. There's nothing that guy has to say about anything other than, oh, I love this company. Do oh, you? Yeah. No, that he... doesn't make a good CEO. Or what, your chief cheerleader? Is that what a CEO does? They just cheerlead? I love this company. Well, okay, if you love the company, why are you driving it into the goddamn ground? Get someone in there. Get some crazy 20-year-old who doesn't have any reason to give a shit about what happens to Microsoft, and I guarantee you it'll become the most innovative and profitable company in the history of the world. Oh, yeah. No, well, that, that, you, you hit the nail on the head there that they just they, they want to survive. They don't care about innovating. Uh, what a if someone new man. came in that, that was willing to risk the business on, on this new thing, then, yeah, maybe it'd be great. I mean, look at uh, Xbox and Kinect. Kinect was, the I think, the best-selling consumer electronics device ever, and... When they they haven't released anything new for it for for a while as far as you know upgraded technology. Oh, hold on, Mrs. Balmer's called in. Mrs. Balmer. Hey. Yeah, I just wanted to bring you on and see what you had to say. I guess you heard the interview just now. I just want everyone to know I love that man. I just love that man. <laughs> I uh, boy, I love that man. Uh, well, what do you think about the specific charges against him that he's an an inadequate CEO and in driving the company into the ground? Well. I love that man. Uh, we know you do. Thank you, Miss Balmer. I love that man. Okay. So, do you think maybe she loves that man? That Just he loves uh, that company. I, and it's a story. What know? is? I mean, wh- who? Whose penis does Steve Ballmer have risque pictures of? Bill Gates. That's kept him in that position for so long. Bill Gates. I, I, well, hey, I'll tell you, I don't think that uh, Bill Gates necessarily plays on one side of the fence. That guy does, <laughs> that guy seems, if I didn't know he's married and has children, even, well, you even know that, that his mom I mean, set them up, right? we all saw the kids in the hall brain candy, so we know that that's not necessarily a surefire indicator either. <laughs> but uh, that guy, if I didn't know better, whew. I know who's pitching and catching. I'll just put it that way. Between <laughs> Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates, I, I, I understand the arrangement. We'll, we'll just put well, it that way. You heard the story about uh, Bill Gates' mom, before she passed away, made a point to connect him and his future wife together because she thought she would do a good job of taking care of him. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Mommy cares. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, Gotun, what else would you like to talk about before we unceremoniously hang up on you, as most radio shows do? <laughs> well, I do have to say there is a two gig limit on the file size if you use the application to upload your data. Okay, let, so let me ask you this: Where does oh, the oh. three hundred megabyte limitation come into play? If you do an upload through the directly website. to the website. Oh, but even two gigabytes—that's sorry, I don't want that. What? What's the file size limit on NTFS? What is it? Um. It's- Good question. It's, it's over eight gigs. I think it's like sixty-four gigabytes. Some crazy. You know, I know. That's what I'm saying. I know it's because four four point like six isn't it the the limit on uh, FAT32. Hmm. It, uh, it, it's huge. I mean, I, I I've done at least forty gig uh, ghost images before. So okay, so we have a we have a, a cloud based storage system that is tied to 
my file system on my computer, which is NTFS, so should that not accommodate every variable I could throw at it? Well, the the problem with uploading over the web interface is that's really taxing on the server on its end. Uh, if you have a lot of people who are uploading 300 meg files at the same time, of course they have a distributed network of servers, but that, that still is a major stress on their the, the back end of their system. Mike, and, and I, I, I can sort of understand. Look at Dropbox. There's a limit on this file size that you can upload to Dropbox through the web interface also, and it's lower than uh, 300 megs, if I remember right. Well, I, I, think think it's, uh, I, I don't think that's that uh, unrealistic. I, I think there's other problems with uh, SkyDrive that it's just it, it's appalling that, that it's Microsoft who makes it, and it's a key feature to uh, Windows 8 in the live experience. It It's not grown all that much from what it was years ago. So GoToon, you want to plug anything before you go? You got a Twitter or anything like that? Uh, sure. I've got my Twitter feed. It's uh, at... G-O-T-T-O-O-N. Sweet. There's also a website, and if you search that, you can find about anything well, I would ask about the, me. I would ask that you refrain from that. But anything else you'd like to plug, it's right up there on the on the menu. No, I'm kidding. What's your website? It's the same, gotteen.com. Oh, really? G-O-T-T-O-O-N.com? Yep. It's branding. Okay. Let's see what's there. It's probably gay midget porno, and I just got, I just got trolled. Let's see. Gautun, you have that virus uh, uploader installed correctly, right? Yes, of course. Okay, good. Well, okay, it's a blog. This is, an, and uh, I like the way you aren't particularly uh, careful about capitalization because I'm the same way. Yeah, and that that the blog post that's at the top actually is from October because it's been a little while, and that's all done by a. I was uh, playing around with Dragon Twelve. Uh, oh, so you're, dry, you're talking. I see. That's why it's sort of. So it's literally unedited gibberish. All I did was talk to my computer, and it wrote what I talked. Okay. So. Well, so that's g o t t o o o n dot com. If you want to check out his blog, I have to take a break. Someone's in the front of the building waiting to come in. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's GoToon, and this is the spec sheet with Curtis Thornton. If you want to call the show tonight, the number to call is 573-837-4948. It's 573-837-4948. Back in a minute. Stick around. Call the spec sheet now at 573-837-4948. This is a very special edition of the spec sheet with Curtis Thornton. On this broadcast, each listener will receive a complimentary pre-owned 10 gigabyte IBM IDE hard drive. No need to call about the drive. We have your information. To speak with Curtis, call now at 573-837-4948. That's 573-837-4948. And now, here's the spec sheet. All right. Nice stuff. Made a little mistake there. (laughs) Is that what the pause was? I can't separate these two shows. Well, I accidentally played one of the train wreck liners instead of the spec sheet liner. So anyway, if you want to be on the show, the number is 573-837-4948, 573-837-4948. And actually, I'm kind of surprised we forgot to talk about this story that you linked to during the break here, which is the Twitter account of the AP getting hacked. Yeah. But what I find interesting is that uh, from... Uh, from USA Today, their story about it. The first thing they start start with is that the markets took a tumble uh, yeah. when this hack happened. Hmm. Uh, that sounds go slightly fishy. 
I think what what they need to do is look really closely at who was doing any trading at about that time, because I think that may have something to do with possibly who's responsible for it. I mean, what a great way to just depress the stock market. I don't know how long. Do you know how long it dipped? No, I don't. It was Uh, just a matter of minutes, I believe. Was it? Yeah. The article, they they, they don't give an exact time, but they say that it was enough to cause the S&P 500 to crater for a few minutes. But you're right. That's a perfect time for someone to go in and. Uh, buy a lot of shares of something while it's while it drops, and get an instant gain. By the way, I forgot to uh, note Pony Boy Sunset in the chat room says she's getting a Nexus Four, and that she's mm-hmm. very excited. And uh, I think you're going to be very happy with that phone. I've got the next the Galaxy Nexus, which is the previous generation Nexus device. Uh, so the Nexus Four being one generation beyond this. And uh, I have to say that if it's anything close to this device, it's amazing. Uh, only with better hardware than this has, supposedly. I, I know it's going to have a faster processor. I think it's got more RAM. Uh, the storage mm-hmm. space is probably the same, 16 or 32 gigabytes. It seems that the industry has sort of settled in on that number, those two numbers. I, I wish they'd get a little bit beyond. Flash memory is not that expensive, is it? Yeah, Why no. can't we get beyond that? 32 gigabytes is really just more than anyone will ever need. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, Max Gravy mentioned that he has a, a crappy track phone and he loves it. But uh, that reminds me, I was going <laughs> to ask you, did have you ever tried Straight Talk as a phone, phone service? No, but it's my understanding that it runs on Verizon's network. And, I think you can run uh, both because I'm thinking about switching from AT&T to it. Well... If if it's available, I I, th- I would think that would be a no brainer, really. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, Assuming I, Verizon's think, good where you are. Yeah, AT and T has good service. Well, it has okay service. Uh, it's the fake four G, not the full LTE uh, service. But still, uh, right now I'm paying almost 160 a month for it, and from what I can tell, I can, and that's for two gig gigabytes each on the two phones I have. With Straight Talk, I can switch over $45 a phone, unlimited. It, they make it very clear, if you read the terms of service, it's unlimited mobile data, not unlimited data. So if you use it to tether, then they're going to gonna hit you in or they're going to smack you down for it. But Well, and I think, if you go, I think if you go over either two or three gigabytes, probably two, yeah. they throttle you. And, right, uh, and that's fine with me. I mean, that's still better than getting hit for $10 a gig. Well, just whatever you do, don't make my mistake and go try to use Virgin Mobile because you just literally, you could become a serial killer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It could just drive you mad. And Well, that's why I wanted to ask you because I knew you, you had uh, tested some of these uh, back when we were doing more regular shows in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, I switched from I- Verizon to Virgin Mobile. Uh, boy, that was just a drop off the side of a cliff. Yeah, Virgin Mobile runs on Sprint's network. It's awful, horrible coverage. Data was so unreliable. I swear to you, data was so unreliable on Virgin Mobile. It was as if I didn't have data. I mean, I literally, it was as if I was using a feature phone, only I'd look down at it, and it's a modern Android device. (laughs) But it's like a feature phone because there's no data access. You can have a full signal on that piece of shit network, and have no access to data whatsoever. You're not even close to being throttled. And you've just gotten, I mean, there's just no data. I don't know what's going on with that stupid network. So if you're thinking about going with a prepaid, yeah. I mean, I've not used Straight Talk. 
but it's my understanding it runs on Verizon's network, and that alone gives you a pretty significant leg up. Uh, and by the way, Ponyboy Sunset, the thing I will say about your Nexus 4 <clears throat> that, well, the, <clears throat> that I'm not particularly crazy about is the glass back. I'm not too terribly crazy about phones having glass backs. It's just so breakable. And Gorilla yeah. Glass is so hard that it doesn't scratch, but because it doesn't spra- scratch, that means it's extremely unmalleable and inflexible and it instead shatters. Yeah, well, that that was my biggest issue with the 4 and 4S iPhone, that I had to put those things in cases as soon as I got them because I was worried they were going to have problems. Mm. And also, I'm not entirely confident in LG's ability to build quality hardware. Not yet, at least. I'm a little surprised by Google's move to have LG build the next Nexus device. I can't believe it's not Samsung. I don't understand what what could possibly precipitate that. Why isn't it Motorola? Well, I have heard that even people within Google uh, are saying that Motorola is just the black sheep of the Android family. Even people yeah, within so Google weird. are saying that. You own that company. And I understand they bought them a year and a half ago, and there's the idea the that, patents, well, well they, there's the idea that they can't be expected to have started to, to start affecting that line just yet. You know, they only bought Motorola Mobility a year and a half ago, and we can't expect that they're already going to be just making everything Motorola produces into a Nexus device, which is what we all really want. We want multiple Nexus devices to choose from, mm-hmm. varying sizes, varying physical hardware features, but all pure Google experiences, unencumbered by carriers, unencumbered by manufacturers. You shouldn't even know it's a Motorola device. It should just be a Google device. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Motorola, too, uh, Apple today uh, won a case, another one of their patent cases against uh, Google and Motorola. That they just won another one. What over? Uh, Something nobody was, cares about, really. Uh, it was the sensor patent. It's uh, the idea of having a an off magenta pixel on row seventy two yeah. of the horizontal LED display, and is oh god, shut up. Yeah, yeah. Listen to this. It was according to Motorola the sensor. My chair is going to break. Uh, according to Motorola, the sensor technology was not known to in- engineers in 1999 at the time of the filing patent from that Apple had done. Uh, it says, in turn, Apple said that the, the sensor has some differences than those used earlier for, for preventing any accidental dialing and also touchscreen phones have been in the market for the past four years. And that was the, the argument against the sensor for uh, whether or not the phone is up to your face, I, I, it was what it looks like. What court granted Apple a victory here? Uh, it was ITC judge. ITC, Thomas what the hell Kendall. is that? Yes, yeah, so I was trying to see. Oh, U.S. International Trade Commission in Washington. Well, that sounds very appealable. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like so not the final word. <laughs> yeah, what it is, is the, the, it's the sensor that prevents the phone from hanging up or starting any application when the phone is held near the person's face and is covered under the patent that was disputed. God. And the decision came in favor of Apple uh, against Google and uh, Motorola. Of course, in the process of this dispute happening, Google bought Motorola, and I think we fully agreed it was for the purpose of patents. Yeah, we talk about this so much on this mm-hmm. show, but... I really have to say, I think Apple's toast, and I think they oh, I know they're toast. Their stock shares, they, they, they know they, they're toast. It's like three hundred and something a share down from like seven oh five. Yeah, it was down to four hundred today. They had their earnings report, and 
they did better than expectations in iPhones and iPads. But what I found the most interesting being an Apple computer fan is last year and during this quarter, they sold about uh, just over 4 million devices, computer devices. This year, they sold under 4 million. And, and Cook claims that or, or he hinted that there's going to be new devices, uh, specifically in the hardware computer side uh, coming this year. But man, they've really just crapped on the the Mac Pro users. Uh, it's ridiculous. A, a really updated Mac Pro hasn't been out for years, and that that's what's made the Hackintosh community so popular too. Uh, and the reason why they're not selling nearly as many devices, you know, the 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 MacBook Pro used to be the the gold standard in laptops, but there's so many great laptops out now. I don't know why it ever was, though. I've never liked the uh, island keys on the keyboard. Mm-hmm. I've never liked the trackpad that's got no buttons. You just press on the pad. I've never liked that. Uh, there are a lot of things about that physical hardware that I just have never acclimated oh, I- to or warmed up to, and I don't understand where the perception came from that that's cream of the crop is hard but oh, I, I don't know. i've always loved it i mean i don't like the new ones i don't like the retina displays i don't want a computer that has everything glued inside it that that's ridiculous to me but i, I have the generation right before the retina displays and it, it's the best laptop i've owned in, in terms of fit and feel of it <clears throat> i made the mistake one time i think it was a macbook pro i don't recall of replacing an lcd display mm-hmm. in one of those i had no idea how much degluing I was in for. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. absurd just standing there with a stupid blow dryer trying to warm this dumb bezel up so that I can unglue it. What kind of a manufacturing process is that to glue yeah. shit? Come on, man. It's only worse now. That's that's how they're making them so thin. They're making them irreparable. Yeah. Unrepairable, irreparable. I don't know what the proper word use is there. E- if anybody way, in the chat ridiculous. room wants to uh, apprise me. Feel free to piss off. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gotun mentioned that he wants a, or he's looking at a Chromebook. And I wouldn't mind having it. Like if the Chromebook, which is very similar to the, the MacBook Pro, <laughs> if they would make a more powerful, full-featured de- or a laptop that wasn't just Google Chrome's OS, I'd be interested in that laptop. I do like it. Did you hear about this Chromebook? I think it's called the Pixel. And yeah, it's, like, would- it's like $1,500. Yeah. Would you buy that? No, uh, I wouldn't buy it for Chrome OS. But if that was a full-featured uh, hardware that I could run Just because Windows of the Retina display? It, it does. Yeah, it has the, the best display of any laptop out right now. That's the only thing it's got going for it, I guess. But, it I is. mean, do yeah, you it really... It's got a touchscreen on it, which I like. Do you really uh, want that on a computer that's based... It got, I mean, the operating system well, I mean, I on that whole it. computer is based on a browser... Is there really that much stuff you're going to look at in a browser that's going to benefit from that kind no. of resolution? If anything, it's going to reveal all the artifacts and everything you look at. The text isn't going to look good. Pictures on websites aren't going to look good anymore. Look good. Would it? Well, I guess because it's all vectorized, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing about web design right now that's really frustrating is retina displays make all the graphics you're used to seeing on, on the majority of websites look terrible. If you if you look at it, it's native resolution, so they purposely scale down uh, so that it still looks the way you expect it to look. But your, your typical, let's say, 300 by 250 graphic, 
uh, that's been designed for any standard monitor most of us have, if you put that on a retina display, it's going to look fuzzy and ugly or really tiny and good. GoToon in the chat room says, honestly, I love Chrome OS. I have no debate to offer there. I, I think it's a great, innovative idea. I think it's wonderful if you want to be able to buy somebody a laptop, hand it to them, and never have to provide support. Well, almost never. I'm sure there are issues as they've made the OS more complex. I'm, I think they've given users yeah, access a to a file system now, it. haven't they? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more complicated, but still. It's great in that regard, but I'm sorry, that is not an environment in which you need an ultra-high-resolution display, I don't believe. Yeah. And no, even I with agree. that display, I don't think the price can be justified. I, they, I, they did it for one reason, and the, the day after the press release came out that the Pixel was being released, Apple had to go back to the Retina MacBook uh, Pros, and they had to change to, say, one of the highest resolutions. Mm. So it was just to poke Apple in the eye. <laughs> really? Oh, it was, yeah. I mean, wow, yeah, I've never heard that approach to this conversation about that piece of hardware. But really, now that you say that, I can see it being the case. Yeah, well, and the cool thing, too, is that if you go into to Google's main offices, uh, they're in a – trying to think, where is it? What's the valley that uh, Mountain Google's View based out of? Silicon Valley? Yeah, what? but it's – They're it's in Mountain right View, where? California. Yeah. Uh, is it Mountain View? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so you go into their main offices there, and they have a bunch of Chrome Pixels, uh, Chromebook Pixels there that you can use as you're waiting for your person you're meeting. Uh, I saw some some photos of that that I thought was awesome, that this laptop that most people aren't going to be able to afford to buy for what it does, it's all just a promotional piece. And I think it's a, like I said, if I could run the uh, you know, any operating system I wanted to on a Chromebook Pixel, then I think it would be an awesome laptop. So anything else you want to talk about? Do you feel like we've, uh, we've pretty much yeah, well, nailed like it? We've gone a, a lot of directions. There's a, a bunch of things that we could bring up. Uh, just really quickly, uh, going back to the, uh, the Twitter hack, uh, one of the things I thought was funny in this article is that a new uh, theme you're going to keep hearing all the time with cyber terrorism. And, of course, what's happened in, in Boston is going to bring anything with the word terrorism to be more uh, uh. popular and and get more uh, screen time. But I, I loved in this uh, USA Today story, they talked about cyber criminals and where they go to the cyber underground to buy usernames and passwords of uh, employees to uh, uh, to cause this hack to be possible. And I just thought that was, was funny. You're going to continue to hear these things about the, uh, the, uh, the dark web or the deep web, uh, cyber underground, which is all just ridiculous. It's all a bunch of fluff. It annoys me. Pragmeyer says, holy crap, it's 10 p.m., I guess. Uh, we're talking Eastern time there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, when you're listening to one of the most amazing podcasts on planet Earth, you should expect time, time to fly. That's right. Mofo. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess uh, it is pretty obvious. Everything's going to be viewed through the prism of terrorism for quite some time to come now, unless just circumstances mandate otherwise yeah yeah it's uh it's frustrating the the, the other two, two more stories here that i was going to bring up uh one is sprint now has brought uh, a service I, i'm interested if you've heard about this the data link service uh -uh. and their new static ips for the lte network for corporate customers uh -uh. are these ipv4 well it, yeah it's a it's a 10 it's yeah, a I'm 10 sure dot it's network 
yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it's it's not an IP6, IPv6. Uh, but the thing is that now that their their service uh, called Data Link, when you purchase it, they guarantee coverage, like 99.9% coverage uh, for all types of things, handsets, hotspots, uh, point-of-sale devices. They give a, a backup plan for if your, your on-premises data network goes down. I'm just trying to figure out how Sprint, which you mentioned earlier, has such a crazy network. How are they able to uh, guarantee for enterprises this data link and static IP? Well, if anything, number the- one, because they don't have any customers. Yeah. Nobody's using the network, which makes uh, my problem with Virgin Mobile all the more egregious. Right. The fact that nobody's using that goddamn network and I still couldn't use it. As I hear T-Mobile, if you're in a, a metro area and you use T-Mobile, I hear the experience is wonderful because nobody yeah. uses it. Yeah. <laughs> well, w- one thing about T-Mobile, I was talking with a, a coworker about uh, being able to do uh, voice calls over Wi-Fi why haven't other carriers picked that up? Well, one thing I was thinking for like uh, for iPhone, why it doesn't uh, promote that is it would require a rewrite of the dialing system for for it. But obviously, you can do it on an Android device on T-Mobile's network. But that just makes sense to be able to convert uh, voice calls over to a wireless network. You would have higher quality calls than you do over the over the air. Why isn't that a bigger feature? Why isn't it like an FCC requirement that it be included? I don't understand right, exactly, why it wouldn't yeah. be a required thing. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, it was such a, a quick conversation that brings up something that really is surprising. Why don't they? Uh, well, and it would be really that? easy to pull off. I mean, all you got to have is embedded VOIP software in the mobile device. Whenever it detects that it's connected to Wi-Fi, it does a little bit of line testing, if you will, in order to determine that it's a suitable connection for VoIP. And when it makes that determination, boom, you're on that. You're no longer over the air for phone calls. Right. And you would never know. There would no, Well, the only reason you would know is because suddenly the voice quality of your calls would sound amazing. Right. It'd be better, yeah. We, we've talked in the, the past about how they, the, the technology they use for a phone call, over, even when you're using data for a voice call over a cellular network, the compression they put on it is terrible. That's why every phone call sounds worse now on a cell phone. And oh, my yeah. heart bell back in the coast-to-coast days oh, yeah. would complain every time someone called in on the cell phone. Well, and, and he was right in that regard yeah. that the move from analog to digital in the cell world was a real step back in terms of audio quality. But it was a huge right. step forward in terms of battery conservation and uh, conservation of network bandwidth. Uh, in those two areas, it's a huge step for because in order to transmit an analog audio signal there's a huge amount of rf energy required in order to make that happen and there's a lot of wasted energy happening there it's the difference between an led bulb and an incandescent bulb Mm -hmm. i mean it's analogous it's entirely analogous and uh but in terms of audio quality it was a huge step back um and I don't understand why, with all the data throughput that exists now, that's not gotten any better. You would think with right. all that data throughput, that to me spells bandwidth, which in turn means... But maybe it's standardized, and that's why. It's all based on an audio co- codec standard, and the amount of bandwidth yeah. going up or down has nothing to do with whether you're going to sound any better or whether they could even make you sound any better. Yeah, I, don't I, know. I used to know what the codec they used for. I can't remember right now. I know PCM is one of them, I know that's on not my, standard. I know on my Droid X, you could go in and you could input some hack code that would get you to a proprietary background interface that you otherwise would never know existed, 
and you can go in there and choose a different codec for the phone nice. to use. See why I don't want to use an iPhone. My God, the things you can do on an Android device, it's just absolutely amazing at times. Uh, That's why my next device probably will be an Android. Well, everybody's pretty much bailing from the chat room. You bunch yeah, of yeah so the, the only other thing I had, which we could talk about some other time, is a recent report about denial of service attacks tripled uh, last year and China being the biggest offender. But but that's something we can go into deeper later. I think we, we've probably reached the end. China would electronically attack someone? I just don't no, buy that. Never. You know, I heard about uh, there's a there's an actual neighborhood in China where all of uh, the the majority of the most pro- most prolific cyber attacks out of China are coming from, and this no, this really. neighborhood happens to have ties to government in China. So really, what it means is we now know where from what physical location the Chinese government is attacking electronic infrastructure in this country. Isn't that great? We just sit back yeah. and shut our goddamn mouths because well, yeah. we don't really want to attack China. <laughs> yeah, we write another check. To we're getting too many. We're getting too many cheap shower curtain rings. We couldn't. We couldn't even <laughs> think it's about such a random it. thing. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's just there's no yeah. way it's going to happen. You, yeah. uh, uh, electronic security versus shower rings. You think there's a choice to be made there? I the, think the, not. There's a choice. Anyway, it's the spec sheet with Curtis Thornton. Thanks a lot to everybody who called tonight. All of you. I forget how many people called. I think it was three or so. I think we had 200. Oh, 200. I, yeah, I thought three. It went so fast. I thought three. Show. I don't know what's what's gotten into me. Anyway, the spec yeah. sheet with Curtis Thornton. We'll see you next week, I guess, with the train wreck show, I assume. Otherwise, we'll try. If we don't have a train wreck show, we'll try and bring you another spec sheet. We'll just see what happens and go from there. Have a good night, everybody. See you, Curtis. All right. See you. Night all. This is the spec sheet.